Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To many, boxing remains the sweetest science. To others, it's a barbaric abomination, littered with shady scoundrels and snake oil promoters. But at its heart, you'll still find honest-to-the-core fighters scrapping for a living. From the age of nine, when he took on and defeated a Welsh 11-year-old in Swansea, Gary Spike O'Sullivan was made for the ring. Now, in his 37th year, he believes he's a better fighter than ever and a world title shot remains in his eyeline. Ahead of his first bout in 16 months, we thought it was time for a proper Examiner Sport chat about that 655 square foot living, breathing organism that is the professional boxing ring. The true house of pain. It's worth an hour of your time, even though recording it took a while longer. Thank the bloody pandemic for that. Gary Spike O'Sullivan, I want to start with your most recent fight and you're going to say, OK, Mongolia beaten in the 11th round in January. But I don't know whether it's Friday Night Lights or whatever it is, but I've always had a fascination with Texas. Like, how did you end up fighting in Texas against Mongolia? It was in San Antonio, wasn't it? Yeah. Just give me the background to how that came about. Um, I initially signed a three-fight junior middleweight contract with Golden Boy Promotions and um, I, th- I had one of those fights and then they came to me would I fight the world champion junior middleweight world champion mm. um, or light middleweight as we call it in Europe yeah. they call it junior middleweight in the States um, so I agreed straight away but the thing was uh, they told me I wouldn't be fighting for the world title that he was moving up to middleweight so he was vacating the light middleweight world championship right. so they wanted me to move back up to middleweight as well with him it would suit him, of course. He'd be being the bigger man, um, but I agreed because uh, it was a magnificent uh, opportunity and um, magnificent stadium. Yeah, would be the best uh, arena I'd ever ever fight in. Like, or not many people get to headline a show on a sixty-four thousand seater stadium. It's the stuff of dreams, you know. Since I was a kid, so. Um, Did yeah. you like Texas? Texas was lovely. Yeah, the people were lovely there. Very uh, scenic place um, yeah. where, we, where we were staying anyway was there was rough parts too actually myself and Haskell Collins and um, my trainer my coach we we went over initially about a month before the fight for our press conference um, or maybe maybe two months before three months camera was camera no, it was quite a bit, bit before the fight we went for press conference in Texas and uh, so we were obviously in training camp at the time as well mm. and uh, we got up over the hotel and uh, we went for a run the next morning because I needed to be training like but we went down a pretty rough place you know it was this was in San Antonio now, yeah, wasn't it? yeah 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 a lot of drugs there and stuff like that you know um you could see it like the houses were look rough I think I seen a lady in her 50s with a 
one of those one litre cans of beer. It was about, I don't know, half eight in the morning, half seven in the morning. I can't remember. It was quite early anyway. But there he was. We go one drinking a one litre uh, can of beer, like, mm-hmm. at that time of the morning. like. And I can imagine as well, Spike, even in January, I mean... San Antonio could be quite humid. Is that right? What was I mean? Would it have been warm at the time? Yeah, I think it was uh, quite warm. Uh, not as warm obviously as it would have been in the summer, like. Yeah. But um, it was warm enough. But you know, um, I fought in many places all around the world, and I never leave any of that. Um, you know, uh, distract me. I just uh, mind over matter with everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. I fought in Quebec one time. It was a uh, minus thirty chill breeze. Was unbelievable. But I enjoyed every moment of all those things uh, experiences in life and it's great to experience it and uh, I wouldn't care like I'd fight out in the minus 30 and my underpants are out in the Vegas in the desert it doesn't bother me I just and like explain to me because I'm fascinated like everything in would have been against you I mean we talk about in all sports home court advantage you know fighting in you've, you fought in Neptune Stadium so you know what it's like to have it so when you're going to Texas and you're literally going to somewhere you've never been before, and your entourage is probably, one, you know, the only thing that's supporting you. Like, how how difficult, how steeper does that make the task? I relish that, you know, but uh, I have to give a couple of lads from Cork show out there. They came to the fight, like, as well, and there's actually a good Irish contingent in Texas, believe it or not, and there was a good few Irish came as well, but obviously they were outnumbered significantly by the, the Mexicans, you know, mm. sure. San Antonio practically is Mexico, but um, yeah, no, I I relish those occasions. Um, the harder the task, uh, the better for me. I uh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, because I was just going to say, I mean, and we're going to talk about several examples. It's as if, like, all boxers and all sports people obviously relish a challenge, but it seems to me like that if there's an extra little twist of a challenge, if there's an extra little obstacle involved, you seem to have this bring it on mentality. Is that fair? I'd say that's fair to say, yeah. I, I said one time, uh, which is true, like, um, you know, I'd love to go to uh, Kazakhstan and fight uh, Gennady Golovkin, you know, he was the man at the time. And, Bees uh, knees, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I said that and I, I meant that, like, 100, 100%, I would love it. would have been a massive challenge, but uh, obviously he'd had a big crowd again and I would love to go to Kazakhstan and fight him there or, or maybe Canelo Alvarez when he was a little bit smaller uh, in Mexico, you know, I'd I'd have fought them all, you know, no problem. Yeah, and are you not concerned or does your mind not start to play tricks? Like people who are away, they're talking about, oh, well, the home guy's going to get the advantage. The refs are going to be obviously seeing him more than me. So I need to actually even win by more. Like, does those things not start actually trying to, you know, say to yourself, this isn't going to work out for me? Um, no, I always uh, very confident. I always believe I'd win every single fight I've ever had or anyone I've ever challenged I always believe I can win mm. I always uh, very confident and uh, believe in myself and um, now I do know I've all, uh, most of the time in all my big fights I've been um, in the away corner and had to go to their backyards you know um, every single uh, champion I fought like that I, I actually fought them in the wrong backyards and right. another thing was they were all bigger men than me as well because I'm a late middleweight myself and they were all middleweights uh, but I always still believed I could win the fights Mm. I didn't always, but um, I, w- I won a lot of them. But, uh, Explain to the uninitiated, like myself, um, light middleweight is 154 pounds, yep. middleweight is 160 pounds. And you yep. think to yourself, that's not even half a stone, it's six pounds. Can it actually spike, make that much of a difference? And does it make that much of a difference? 
does um the, the thing is uh, they're much bigger men than other it's a, a in high quality athletes like that you know um it's like my father said to me before I made a great point um for example if you take a racehorse you know, a magnificent animal with four incredibly powerful legs mm. if you put two pounds on a horse like that he could lose a race but I'm on a human being where only two small legs not near as powerful as a racehorse um you know six pounds is a massive difference but the thing as well in boxing is the rehydration afterwards they're bigger men so they rehydrate more when I fought Lemieux for example in um, Las Vegas he was on the night 18 or 19 pounds heavier than me you know it's absolutely how? how come? just a bigger man and uh, but fair. he still had to be 160 or less yeah on the on the day of the win like, but I I didn't have to dehydrate or anything I can make a middleweight easily the majority of the time like yeah. if I had a proper training camp which I did for that I made it very very easily I was able to have a cup of coffee in the morning before the weigh-in, you know, whereas he was in hot baths, Epsom salt baths, and in the sauna. I actually, I was, when I fought in Quebec, he fought that night also, he fought Buddy Joe Saunders that night. Um, I remember him distinctly crawling like a slug out of the uh, sauna. He used to struggle to make weight so much. Mm. Very, very big for middleweight, but um, as I say, he came into the ring then, um, you know, I think he was about 12 stone nine. When we weighed in the day before, eleven six was or something. I know he was there, but he was eighteen or nineteen pounds heavier than me anyway. Wow. Okay. I'm going to come back to that fight. Um, I know you might mightn't like talking about it, like, but I'm going to come back to it afterwards. I mean, just thirty four professional fights over a long career. You've won thirty. Yeah. The four you've lost have been against world champions, either had been or would be in the future. Yeah. Were you born to be a boxer? Jeez, I don't know. Um, I often thought before every fight, I was in the dressing room before I came on, I think, what am I doing, you know? Uh, why am I even boxing? Do you know, I, I don't know. Um, Explain that to me, Spike. Well, what do you mean? Well, I don't know. It's it's, it's a mad sport, like, you know, and you're heading out for a fight, like, and these these killers, like, mm. <laughs> you know, uh, you're thinking, bloody hell, what am I doing? Like, you know, it's, mm. a, it's a tough, mad sport, like, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's, I think uh, people have experienced um, white collar events. You know, the it's kind of the same feeling almost because they're going up against someone of their own ability. And th- I think they'll all tell you the nerves before they leave the restroom for a fight is uh, like nothing else. Like it's not like playing like, a football match or a hurling match or anything like that. It's just a it's a different type of adrenaline you kind of get into. It's a fight. You know, it's it's mad. But um, my dad uh, introduced me to boxing when I was very very young and. Probably started training from the age of five, so uh, mm. I was reared with it. And uh, you know, I, I loved playing uh, all sports, so soccer and hurling and everything. But uh, it was just, it was the door I was kind of shown and you know uh, encouraged more toward. I, t- I feel so that's why mm. I done it. And uh, you know, uh, I actually opened the uh, an amateur boxing club man with my parents and my brothers when I was 18 and I was expecting my first uh, daughter at the time and um, I thought I might never even box again to be honest mm-hmm. uh, at that point I didn't do much boxing along myself for five years I was doing more coaching you mm-hmm. know coaching all the kids down in Mahan and uh, it was great actually I got great rewards I lot of coach guys uh, 13 kids there from Mahan um, they'd never boxed previous coaching become national champion it was a it was great, great sense of uh, achievement. Achievement, like, brilliant! Like seeing the kids 
you know progress and become so fit and get such good shape and uh, mm. you know because down a man as well like you know it's it's a tough enough area you know and uh, it's great to, it was very enjoyable it looked very rewarding mm. I want to go back though to that kind of primal fear thing that you mentioned because like I did a very small bit of boxing in Tralee I remember in, when I was actually the year I was doing my leaving cert so I was about 17 or 18 and one of the things that actually sticks in my head, I was in the ring and it was only a sparring thing one night. And you know the way in we used to see in cartoons, you know, when someone gets a box and you see the stars over their head and you kind of think, you know, but you never actually realise until you're on the receiving end that you do actually see stars. Well, at least I saw stars. And ever after that, I was I was always wary. You know, that one incident kind of stuck in my mind. Like, so when you talk about that, that fear, like it's not like any other individual sport. It's not like golf. It's not like snooker. It's not like tennis. You know, you're going in to a ring and apart altogether from the fact that there's maybe 20,000 people in the ring, the main fear is to your own personal well-being. Um, no, I always feel, uh, I'm always prepared very well and I feel very physically strong and capable of defending myself. But it's uh, my fear more is of losing you know that's I'm very competitive. I think all uh, most uh, you find the uh, top sports people are very competitive, streaking them, and uh, it's more so the the fear of losing and being embarrassed, maybe you know, and getting out outdone. You know, and the fight is very, um, I think, um, bravado, masculine thing, and you don't want to you don't want to lose. You know, mm. so is it a, uh, is that like are you saying so you're less worried about your jaw and more worried about your pride? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I don't worry about my jaw and then I've had my ribs broken I broke my hand uh, broke my nose so many times I can't remember how many probably about 14 and, uh, but no I don't worry about any of that really much yeah. I've had my eardrums burst four times No, I you recover from all that like it's grand you'll be fine like, you will recover like, it's like my daughter was playing uh, Gaelic football recently, well a while back now with this lockdown but mm. uh, she was, she's eight you know and it was it was a good life lesson for her and uh, and he discussed it with her again yesterday. You know she she got a she banged heads with another girl and you know it was quite a bad bang because she got a black eye in instantly. Mm. And um, my partner was there with me and she was like, "We'll bring her home," you know, because actually my daughter she was crying and uh, she wanted to she wanted to go home, you know. But I said, "No, love, you know, calm down. We're going to go into the bar. We're doing the bars, hurling football club. I'll mm. get a bit of ice to put on your eye. You'll be fine. Go out and play the next match. It was a blitz. We're having another match." So she did, and she she played the the next match, you know, and it's a story I can go back to with her now for many years to come. We'll say, well, remember that time you thought you couldn't do it, you know, but yeah. you went back out and played the game again. Did you ever fear for your life in the ring? Have you ever been on the receiving end where you think to yourself, like, I mean, I need to get out of here? Yeah, the one time um, was actually against Chris Eubank Jr. when I fought him in uh, mm -hmm. London, um, 2016 I think 15 or 16 I think 15 yeah, yeah 2015 yeah um, what was it this? I think it was this it was the third time I got my eardrum burst but I first I got a burst against Billy Joe Saunders in 2013 and I was sparring a Cuban guy and he was my eardrum sparring and uh, when I fought Eubank he burst it too but uh, I got a very bad pain in my head with that mm. particular person of the eardrum was, was much worse and he was more relentless as well and different style of fighter to Saunders and he was relentless in his attack and uh, 
I felt like uh, my head was going to explode. The pressure was unbelievable. My balance was off, and uh, you know, I never would have pulled out. Like I'd have kept fighting, but my I'm lucky that I've got a compassionate uh, trainer, and uh, you know, he cares about his fighters. And Pascal, um, yeah, yeah, great guy, great man. Um, you know, he cares about his fighters, and uh, more than you know going on and win, trying to win a fight and get the wilt or whatever and he pulled me out and he made the right decisions you know not many fighters I think will will kind of admit to that like you know the, mm. they say I should he should have let me go on and whatever but uh, he made the right decision and the fight after that Eubanks next fight he fought another a friend of mine Nick Blackwell um, he brain damaged Nick Blackwell badly and um, he, he's never going to recover for his, his life you know so that was the very next fight yeah he uh, yeah, he's He's not. He, he's never going to be right. You yeah. know, because that's what I'm thinking of when you said a few minutes ago to me, Spike. You know, look, you'll always recover. I'm thinking you. You have to admit, like boxing is littered with stories of guys who did not recover, and some paid the ultimate price, like in terms of with their lives. So you know, it's a very. It, it must be at times that ring or whatever the dimensions of it are. It must be a lonely spot on occasions. It is. Um, my experience in the amateurs was well, um, if you weren't fully fit, it's the it's your it's the loneliest place then because you've nowhere to go, nobody to sub for a substitution. You're in there and that's it. You know, um, if you're not fully fit, you're fucked. Yeah. You know, you're gonna you're gonna get a bin, like you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, as a professional, I've always been um, very fit for all my fights. Although I'm thinking back, um, one particular fight I uh, fought Fitzgerald. Um, in the train arena in Dublin, and uh, Anthony is he? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't fully fit for that fight because I actually lied to my trainer at the time as well. Uh, it's something wrong with my quad. I pulled my quad doing a squat in the Merdick. I just started training in the Merdick, and I wasn't, uh, you know, used to doing uh, strength and conditioning like basically. So I, I pulled. Um, it's kind of tore me quite a bit. Yeah, but I, I couldn't pull out the fight because. Uh, I knew with the hostility and the man that I was fighting, I was saying all the t- all along I was afraid to fight him, which was complete shit. Like I was never afraid to fight anybody. It was that's one thing, you know, right? Never, never afraid like to fight. Um, but I, I couldn't run, so I'd be telling my manager Pascal, he said, oh, "Did you run this morning?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you run? Uh, did I? Oh, yeah, I did. I did. I never ran. I couldn't run. Because, yeah. uh, but I, I just uh, went and done um, about." Two or three, two or three mile runs, mm. just for psychological. Hobbled it to on. myself, I was thinking just to be sh- say I I I done my running, you know. I, I didn't like, but uh, yeah. It was good so that you took him out in the first round that it was, night. Yeah, to as Pascal said that to me as well. He said like you were lucky you hardly took him out in the first round that time yeah, because yeah. as your fitness might be there as it went on. But I trained very hard, like uh, in sparring and on the punch bag. You know, so the the, you know, I I felt like I was fairly fit, but uh, I didn't get my road work in for that fight. I couldn't. Yeah, one of the one of the things you see very often, Spike, on social media, and I'm thinking of that Fitzgerald fight, like when you actually took him out in the first round. And I remember there was a, there was an Andy Lee one, um, uh, as, as well, where he took a guy out like with an absolute like haymaker, like. The, the satisfaction of that, I mean, I'm presuming like people talk about other sports, about a football or catching it on the sweet spot. I imagine the satisfaction of taking somebody out with a punch like that. Is that something, would that be a fair comment? It must be huge for a boxer. Uh, there and then, like you'd be elated, like, and uh, I suppose a sense of relief, really. 
you know, the fight's over, like, and uh, you've won. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to get beat this time, you know. So, I, I'm not really into hurting fellas, eh, you know, and so, uh, just be glad you won the fight, yeah. you know. Not, I, 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 don't, I never said this at real to hurt anybody, you know, really. Yeah, but no, but I suppose I'm, th- I'm less thinking of the hurt thing and I'm more thinking of who's watching that fight. And so some promoter yeah. or Sky or HBO is kind of saying, hey, look, this guy can sell some tickets. He can put bums on seats. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're right there. Yeah, yeah. spectacular knockouts are right. Definitely. Um, they help your career along, like, you know, mm. uh, to get you to bigger fights. Actually, in fact, that, that particular night, um, I was uh, I was a free agent. Like, yeah, I was actually, I, I, went, I actually had a fight in Boston prior to that. I fought uh, a guy called Jose Medina, Mexican guy, very tough, uh, on short notice, and that was kind of a trial fight. Uh, I think Golden Boy Promotions were actually promoting that fight along with my, no, they're both actually now my promoters, Golden Boy and uh, Murphy's Boxing. Murphy's Boxing would be a smaller promoter, Ken Casey from the Rock, Cape Murphy's. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm still with them and will be today retire. You know they've always been very good to me and you know, I've got a, got a great relationship with them. And um, you know, but I t- took that fight kind of on trial, um, and I think what they didn't really look into enough was uh, I took it on very short notice. But I suppose they expect professionals to be staying ready and in the gym. Mm. Something I haven't always done in my career. And, you know, I, I wasn't in shape for that fight, but I took it anyway because of the opportunity and. So I went there, but I had a, uh, I had a, a brawl, which I meant, like, there was not much skill at all involved, like, you know, we were, like, nearly in a bare room brawl, like, right. beat the shit of each other for the duration of the fight, <coughs> it was hard, like, uh, but I, I remember it was hot over there, and I was dehydrated, and I felt like shit, I remember going to this, I'd come back after the first round, my gum shield, I was so dehydrated, it was stuck to my gums, like, I felt fucking dry out, like, and uh, I was bollocks. Passing kept me going and motivated me to go and fight another round, fight another round, and bite down the gum shield. And I, I won the fight. It was a tough one, like. Points? Points, yeah. Yeah. 12, or would you go 12? Uh, no, it was only six rounds. Oh, six like, rounds, okay. Thank God. Fuck it. I definitely would have had to get a banger right there as well. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, Jeez, after the fight I felt a bit dehydrated I remember I had a tightening on my chest actually a bit of a cramp like it was just through, through dehydration like I thought I was getting a banger like and I said to myself I had a meeting with myself as I like to say like I said fuck it I, I, I said I'm not going boxing no more because um, there was no agreement for a fight purse and I wasn't sure what I was getting it was just kind of a trial and uh, the amount of money was an embarrassment like and I, I thought to myself jeez oh, I have kids at home like mm. I nearly died here tonight for that money and when I'm going back was an embarrassment and um, I'm done but boxing I was thinking but again like just maybe it was my destiny uh, you know to box uh, Pascal my trainer he called me up again and said uh, sorry do you only for, I, I hadn't said that to him at this stage like, but I was contemplating just packing it in and he said to me which was the one fight probably could lure me out of my own self retirement uh, he said uh, uh, will you fight Anthony Fitzgerald who had been harassing me for five years saying I didn't have the balls to fight him and blah blah mm. blah which was as I said before, it was never the case. Um, but he was, he was a good boxer himself, actually. Like, and, you know, you couldn't be guaranteed to win. It was a 50-50 fight when we were going into the fight. Like, I mean, he'd taken Andy Lee to distance and hasn't the damn the guy to beat Andy Lee. He was a good fighter, Andy Fitzgerald. And, uh, but as I say, it was the one fight that probably I felt like I needed to... Was it was it because it was personal? Yeah, it was personal, that one. Uh, yeah. He was being very personal. And his insults, like, taking it too far, I think, you know... Um, so yeah, I felt like I needed to deal with that. So uh, I agreed to that fight, and also it was on Sky Sports, which appealed to me because 
I'd always grown up watching Sky Sports mm. and um, I'd never had the opportunity to fight in Sky so I thought magnificent I'd love it I'd mm. love, love that so I fought him and they knocked him out uh, knocked out of the year 2014 um, I remember it yeah you were actually even up on the ropes before the ref had even counted him out that's right that's right yeah I knew he was gone it was a hard punch Um you know, I actually did bet on that one as well. Fifty to one first round knockout. I put a hundred quid, and it was nice, nice bonus myself. Nice, <laughs> yeah, nice. Jeez, uh, but um, I you always know, liked Eddie Horn a lot. Great respect from um, I was going very well with him, and uh, I remember at the time uh, he he signed two of my stable mates. Uh, I think there's two of them actually. Uh, Luke Keeler and John O'Carroll. They were in my gym at the time, and uh, same gym as myself at the time, and uh, they both fought in the car. But he said uh, Eddie Horn said to my my trainer Pascal, he said, look. After that knockout, um, I won't be able to get anyone in the UK to fight Spike. You're best off going to America, trying to get him fights out there. Why? Why wouldn't you get anyone in the UK? It was just a fashion I knocked him out and, you know, it was pretty devastating. I you guess. mean people are kind of going, hey, we don't want our boy in the ring with Spike? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, okay. You know, at, at that very time, like, it's just, you know, it's, it was like a striker if he's banging in three or four goals they can do magnificently everyone wants to sign him but he might mightn't turn out to be the best in the end like but mm. at that time I had that spectacular knockout and uh, Eddie Horn he said geez, I, I think uh, you need to, I, I'd like to sign him like but uh, I think he'd be just sitting on the shelf here in the UK and in Ireland so you need to try and bring him to the States or whatever fortunately for me that night um, another twist of fate luck for me uh during the quarter of an NFL there was an advertisement uh, or Rampage Jackson as a woman they were they were talking about my knockout and because there was a stool thrown at me after the fight and it made for great TV and you know, with a lot of eyes on it a lot of eyes on it yeah yeah. and then uh, that's how I I think well, after that knockout I, I, I had the fight with the Mexican prior to that and didn't really shine you know it mm. wasn't really fit came in short notice in the fight and cutting weight and d- didn't look the bee's knees but I did then in the Fitzgerald fight and Ken Casey actually he did like my fight against the Mexican the Golden Buyer you know the Mecca of boxing I suppose and they yeah Oscar De La Hoya yeah they, did, they didn't uh, really see the potential of me I think, as I said they probably expect all fighters to be staying fit and coming in and maybe they thought that was all they had at that time which which went on to prove not to be the case but uh, Ken Casey liked my barroom brawl style fight and then he seen the Fitzgerald fight and that kind of he said bloody we'll bring him back again so I got another opportunity to go back and uh, and kind of got a bit of a trial again but with Ken and uh, oh it was great um, I fought in a lovely stadium in, in where was it Melrose in Boston class mm-hmm. it was like a it was like a scene from um, the Gladiator such a cool place it was, it was smaller obviously it was a small place it was classed uh, the ring was in the middle and it was like a circle of seats like yeah kind of high like going she up high yeah, not, that, not that high really right. but like it was similar to the gladiator kind of setting you know yeah it was class and I fought there and I knocked the guy out and I had two fights within a couple of weeks I'd stay away from my family actually that time for oh, six and a half seven weeks jeez it was tough but I had two fights in that space of time and to see how I got in and if I done well they'd sign me mm. you know and uh my next one was brilliant, Madison Square Garden, and uh, like it was great, like to fight there and um, the mecca of boxing, yeah. really. Like, yeah, I won my knockout, so I won my two fights by knockout, and they signed me then. But like, it was it was good, and then they I signed you to a three fight deal. I think so, at like, that time, I, I can't remember. No, to be honest, uh, what 
Golden Boy Promotions signed me and re-signed me and re-signed me continuously rolling contracts for yeah. the last few years but uh, I can't remember the initial contract with Ken Casey like uh, I can't remember what it was to be honest uh, but I remember fighting at Square Garden it was, it was great like yeah. I was often thinking if I ever wrote a, wrote a book maybe possibly Mahan to Madison you know I'm from Mahan yeah. to Madison Square Garden like, I, but I, I, I was there anyway I bought this tracksuit I'd say bloody Ali G or one of these boys they wouldn't wear it like it was a white fur track so with gold and all that and like gold shoes and anyway up to my bedroom the night of the fight I was going to wear them going to the fight like and uh, I put them on and I thought I looked in the mirror I goes oh jeez nah I can't do it fucking hell's too much right so I fuck I just took them off again downstairs there was a couple of fighters in the, the lobby and we were going being picked up and being brought to the Madison Square Garden which was very close by to our hotel anyway and uh I got a text from Dermot O'Sullivan, do you know? Dermot, as yeah. in the car curler? The rock, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, some were good buddies, but uh, he says to me, jeez, uh, just as I ride down the lobby, I, got out, I was getting out of the lift, I looked at my phone, he says, uh, fucking walk into the garden like you want it. And do you know what I thought? So one off, he tried, fuck it. I goes, lads, I'll be back there in a sec. Up to my room, back into the track, so I came down by <laughs> the doors of the fucking... The, the lift open the lads were like nearly blinded fucking hell what the lads I said I'll see you up there I'm walking right right I fucking walking down and I walked down with a couple of guys uh, as in walk down 7th Avenue now yeah, is down, it yeah down to Madison Square Garden okay. like, from the hotel wasn't too far so I walked down this fucking Ali G style tracksuit like I don't know I said he wouldn't even wear it and um, it was this other fellow from Donegal Mark Porter and he said it was a fucking people start beeping the car like some people were like oh, good luck or whatever he said do you ever think you see the day you're walking in Madison Square Garden and people are blowing their horns at yeah. you you know it was it was great by, I mean by the, genuinely there like and you won that night I know and I you won, won by yeah. knockout impressively yeah. that night like when you look back at your career I'm not going to say that's as good as it's going to get because you may still become world champion yet like but as you say from Mahan to Madison Square Garden walking down 7th Avenue in a flash track suit going into the mecca of boxing in the world and knocking a guy out how many boxes does that tick? A lot I feel very fortunate to uh, have yeah. had that opportunity and uh, But what is it about can you put your finger on what it is about Madison Square Garden? I suppose like there's just been so iconic and there's so many events that were held there previous like Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, all these great people like and uh, if you only watched the last dance there recently on uh, Netflix, Michael Jordan, what a great uh, show, you know, I loved it. Brilliant, yeah. Oh, brilliant, yeah. So I suppose just uh, the history that's there in New York is so spectacular, like it's a great place and uh, I suppose all, all of that like. What's the dressing rooms like there? Oh, it was unbelievable, actually. You know, I felt like I was like uh, a singer, a singing singer star. Like, if you'd expect something like uh, a dressing room from Marilyn Monroe or something. Like, I remember the um, the lights around the mirror, like, yeah. you know, they were like uh, something out of a carnival, you know, the big, massive uh, plastic, big, huge lights you'd expect on the on the big wheel or the Ferris wheel or something like that. Like, I never seen that in Lake. Jeez. It was mad, like, it was great to. I feel very lucky as I say just, just even though it's, it's not specific to the garden Spike um, one of the things I'm fascinated in because obviously now with fights and TV and rights and everything like that you do get access to the dressing room there's always a camera in the dressing room now obviously you don't get to see everything in the dressing room 
like you spoke earlier and we were talking about fear and adrenaline and how adrenaline can be a positive but can also be a negative like that. I'm presuming that's the most apprehensive hour, probably more even it is than when you get into the ring for a fighter. That thing before you break open the doors and head for the ring. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah, it's definitely an apprehension like you would. You'd be t- tense like and nervous of losing like definitely would you. It's a... Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think it's a pretty, it's a fairly unique in sport anyway. I think like you know, um, it's I suppose like it's not the end of the world. Like you know, I suppose there is more things you could be more anxious in life that are more important. Like you know, but it, but but it is a, it's intense. You know. Yeah. Do you ever look around at the people who are with you in the dressing room before a fight, and then compare it? To the people who are in the dressing room after a fight when you lose? Um, I've always had a good team of uh, people that really care about me. That's what I love about my team, and uh, I'm ver- very loyal to them and uh, I never leave them. Um, so my team have always been there for me. Win, they l- win lose, or draw, yeah, I've got a great team, and uh, people that really cared cared about me, I, I've been very lucky that way, like, you know, yeah. so I, I'm one of the fortunate ones. I, I've read. Um, Books, but other fellas that weren't so fortunate, you know, the the there's no one there. The after hangers the fight. on, yeah, but not me. Uh, I've always had a good, good, very good team. Like you know, um, my sponsor Connell Thomas actually he goes to all my fights in America. Like he's from Donegal originally, but lives in Cork longer than I'm alive. <coughs> he's always been there, and uh, my my trainer Pascal is always there, no matter what. Okay, know. and your partner, does she? Do you know what? Um, She'd be very nervous. She actually, she'd be sick. She'd be sick, like I can get that. Yeah, uh, nice to fight. So uh, she doesn't go anymore. She doesn't watch anymore. Um, she finds it very hard. You know, she does. Be, she'd be actually very, very nervous, and uh, I think she feels. Yeah, she, she. I think she throws up sometimes, and she actually rang me that time actually before the Fitzgerald fight. Um, that's one thing that really fucking annoyed me actually as well about him, like and about the animosity and all that before the fight and. Yeah, it was too much but uh, she was scheduled to come to Dublin for the fight and you know um, yeah, she rang me I always remember Disney was on actually in City West it's a big event every year in, in, in uh, City West Hotel and um, we've actually went to a couple of times now with the kids and it's brilliant actually but uh, I love City West I always stayed there I was there for years all the staff were very good to me very nice like it's home from home for me now like, mm. I know all the staff there but uh, I remember that morning anyway I was sat in traffic Kind of, kind of get back into City West because of the Disney traffic, and uh, she rang me. I always remember where I was, and she said, uh, "I can't come to the fight." I was expecting her up, but in hours, and uh, she said, uh, "I said why not?" She said, "I'm I'm too nervous. I'm sick. I'm just after throwing up. Can't come." I was fucking, I was pissed off, and at at him, Fitzgerald and his mm. team. You know, I was was one of the, I was in a. But what was the difference in with that one, Spike? Why did she feel? I mean, she literally physically threw up. So what was the what was the difference there? Like, she, did she fear for your well being? Yeah, she did. Yeah, um, there was a lot of there was a lot of st- stuff exchanged on social media that went too far, mm. you know. And she, it was within the country. It was in Dublin, and he's Irish, I'm Irish, and all that. And you know, the, not too far away, I have a drive, and I think it was there was a lot of animosity and a lot of threats kind of mm. through social media that kind of thing like that, that kind of shit you know mm. so she's she's uh, my, my partner she's um, 
quiet like she's not she's not like that like she wouldn't be kind of into that kind of, not that I'm into it myself either like but uh, does the fact that you are now a father make you a better fighter or a more desperate fighter um, a more determined fighter you know um, no, it just makes me more determined and to kind of keep going and uh, provide for my kids you mm. know um, I've, man- I've managed to um, get to a point where I can provide for them very well now good um, you know, so uh, not, it gives me more determination. And, um, you know, since I was very young, since I was uh, probably 11, was my real kind of point when I said I really want to be world champion. I, it was a dream, an actual dream. I was in Park Creek in 1995 watching Chris Eubank Sr. and Steve Collins. And when it was there, the f- yeah. first professional fight I ever went to. Went to my, my, my dad and my brothers, we walked to it from Maham where we live. But, uh so I remember just like I was 11 like I was just about to embark on my amateur career officially as an 11 year old even though I had fought illegally at 9 I lied I said I was 11 but I was very good like I was actually very good from a young age and uh, I actually remember I boxed the Welsh national champion he was 11 I was 9 I beat him in a round in Swansea you know so um, but yeah I remember that being in Parque Cueve and uh, looking at the fight and I was just saying I just I wish that was me. Like he was an Irishman, he beat like, what my was my favorite fighter, uh, Chris Eubank Senior. Loved him. His style, show, panache, yeah, brilliant. Uh, and he watched them fights again recently, a couple of times during lockdown. Great man, just great to watch. Like fantastic the one in Mill Street. And actually, funny enough, Chris Eubank Senior sent me a message during the week, <coughs> asking me for my phone number. I'm still waiting to call me though. I don't know what he wants, but uh, mm. yeah, I loved him though. He was my he he was the one that really uh, got me into boxing. Uh, like truly, from a young age, I thought he was great because I just love watching uh, wrestling as well. I just love the wrestling. Uh, I said my brothers love it, and he reminded me more of a wrestler than a boxer. You know, his uh, razzmatazz come with the ring of showmanship, great. You know, and I loved that. Yeah, I loved that. There was this touch of that as well. Um, the documentary that was on Virgin Prize Fighter, which was really top, really good production. Now, I have to say, but. Um, there was a couple of times, especially when you had this uh, somebody's flash suits on. I thought to myself, "There's a little touch of McGregor," uh, but now that you've mentioned it, there was a little touch of uh, Eubank and the monocle. And you remember, he used to have the cane yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff, and the strut. And I, I only put on the monocle to take the piss out of him, and I was winding up his son at the time. Yeah. You know, that's why I done that, making an angle and create the fight. Um, but the people say to me, "There, like that, no, like McGregor or whatever, like." People, what people don't realize is, as far as I know, I know I pretty could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure I I was like uh, winning titles in boxing before UFC was ever even invented. Mm. So I've been wearing them suits ever before McGregor did. Right. right. So maybe he's the one copying me. <laughs> no. But what I did want to mention about the kids, Spike, is I would have thought that you become more vulnerable as a boxer when you have kids on the basis of well I need to be around and I need to be healthy to father my kids so you actually almost subconsciously you know become more protective of yourself but not not the case you think I don't think you can have that mindset going to fight you have to be I fully agree, yeah. you have to be fully um, believe in yourself and I, as I say I always prepare very hard like I'm a, every time I ever go to a fight um, I'm ready you know Mm. Um, 
I, I'm very good. To I'm, I've got a good defence. I don't get hit um, very much. You know, I got a like I, I don't look like a broke busted up fighter. Like you know, I don't. no. And I've been boxing my entire life. Uh, Pascal always says that to me as well. I've only been uh, cut now. I got cut in my last fight actually. Um, twice in my entire career. M- most guys get cut far far more than that. You know. Sure. Um, I was caught once by a clash of heads actually um, and once by legitimately by a good punch by Mungia yeah. you know um, so no I, you were 15-0 and 0 as a pro before you lost a fight yeah. lost to Billy Joe Saunders um, talk to me about the psychological damage that a first defeat like that has on you because 15-0 and 0 becomes it's like anything they say winning is a habit and you had got into a very good habit and then all of a sudden, you're actually almost like stripped bare. You're fallible. You've been beaten. Does that damage you psychologically, Spike? Um, in that particular fight, uh, I had a lock on an outside the ring, really. Um, um, by not blaming that. Like, I think Billy Joe Saunders is a better boxer than me anyway. He probably beat me anyway. He's a bigger man than me and more mm. skillful. He's so far. Good, very good fighter, very hard to beat. Um, but I don't know. At that, at that time, I wasn't really thinking too clearly. And... Uh, I said a lot of stuff going on outside the ring and um, boxing stuff like or uh, life no, stuff. Life stuff, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. And uh, you know, my I I I think my 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 brain my body was there. My brain was back in Cork. Sure. And then I, and then it, it it was another life lesson for me. Um, you know, you have to be right mentally for a fight. It's very important. Um, if you're not mentally right, you might as well stay at home. Mm, mm. But like as I say, look, I'm not saying I would have beaten him anyway. He's a better boxer than me, and um, he's bigger, bigger and better. Mm. You know, which, which of your four defeats that you've had, which is Saunders, Eubank, um, Lemieux, and Mongoya, which is the one that left the bitterest aftertaste for you, for yourself? Um, easily uh, Lemieux. Sure. Reason being is contrary to what people are probably thinking when I'm gonna say it, but uh, genuine um, fact is uh, out of them all, de- he's definitely the one I should have beaten. Um, mad to say it, like even though because it was the worst result of my career, um, I genuinely feel like I wouldn't be saying it like I wouldn't bother bullshitting really, but I think he, he got lucky. Like that's the honest mm. truth. I believe he got lucky. Uh, well, talk to us a bit about that because that's in the documentary. I mean, you got absolutely caught with one over the top. Yep. You never saw it coming. It's a first round loss, and you're saying to yourself, and there had been a lot of talk in the build up to that fight as <laughs> well. Was, yeah. I, I, I genuinely didn't like him as well. Um, very rare for myself, actually. I like most of my opponents, but I didn't like him at all. Um, I have very good time for the majority of my opponents, like, you know. Even respect. Respect, great. I have respect for him all. I have respect for him too, but I think he's a bit of an asshole, like, but I am. Um, you know, and I'd like to fight him again down the lane before I retire. Mm. I, be- I truly believe I'm a better fighter than him. Um, I think he- I do believe he got lucky. I think, uh, in fact, uh, I go so far to say I think I would have ended his career that night. I think I'd have destroyed him, absolutely destroyed him. So and that you know, must I'd be a killer. Well, it is. It was like I was, I was going to go on to fight Canelo Alvarez or, or Golovkin, the winner of that, and I would have been getting probably minimum five million if I had beaten Lemieux, which was harder. That was kind of the worst part about it, really. But yeah. Uh, I got to buy a house for my family on that fight, so hmm. it wasn't all bad, you know. And um, but I, I was in the best condition of my career for that fight, I think. Um, but I was I was light, very light. He's, yeah, he's very heavy. But uh, but I think you're doing yourself a disservice there because knowing a bit about the background to that fight, 
you had signed with Golden Boy, you had won the previous fight, as you said, this was the gateway to serious, serious money. Yeah. You were looking at, as you say, Canelo, you're looking at Golovkin, you were looking at, as you say, you were looking at millions after that. I think you were very confident going yes. into the fight. I think you felt yourself that you could beat him. So the shock of actually just being caught, I'm trying to think of a comparison um, to other sports, and you're saying to yourself, there isn't one, because it's all done and dusted in 90 seconds. Yeah, that's right. 150 seconds. Was it more? Sorry, it was, okay, 150. <laughs> Uh, careful, Tony. Ah, <laughs> uh, but sure, look, it is what it is, you know. Um, that's boxing, you know. But like Lemieux was a very hard puncher, and yeah. uh, one of the pound for pound hardest punchers in the in the sport. And um, his weight difference as well was huge. Yeah, it was a factor. And uh, but sure, look. Why? Why would you? What has your confidence? Is it a style thing that you feel like if you got him again, yeah. you'd be able to set aside the weight, the everything? I just I'm a better boxer than him, mm-hmm. and uh, I just beat him. You know, um, I I felt as though the fight was going good until then. Mm-hmm. I felt like he was puffing already because he struggled to make so weight so hard. He was already puffing and puffing, and I spoke with Joe Saunders, um, who absolutely destroyed him in that in Quebec that night when I f- probably had my biggest win of my career that night in Quebec. Um, Saunders just told me just be careful. He's got wicked power, but if you go beyond five rounds, he's absolutely gone. Fucked. Yeah, he's gone. He blows. Blows a gasket. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, I in fact I I seen him preparing for the Billy Joe Saunders as I say I, I seen him crawling out of the sauna like a bloody slug. Mm-hmm. He couldn't even get up. He he crawled and he he got up onto the side of a sauna. So he was being knackered for making weight. Like and it was the same against me. And actually, in fact, worse I'd say because it was it was some time after that time we'd fought in um, Quebec. Um, uh, he actually, in fact, the fight after he fought me, he tried to make middleweight again. He collapsed. He was brought by ambulance to the hospital. He struggled to make weight so much. He never again boxed a middleweight after he fought me. Mm. He, I think he actually boxed a super middleweight, the division above, and he struggled to make weight again. Mm. You know, so he's, he's too big for the division, like really. The fight you had um, after Lemieux, um, I'm trying to think of it myself actually. I know you won, um, uh, but oh it, it, yeah. the opponent isn't actually key in this fight. Cause what yeah. I was going to ask you is, oh, I, just, I remember now. Actually, I was uh, against Gabriel Garbix uh, right, yeah. in Mayo. Great crack, actually. He actually dressed up as uh, Peter Kay and came out to me. This is the way to Amarillo. Good, good crack in Mayo. Good night. Yeah, it was just uh, a area man wasn't uh, the same level fighter I am, uh, yeah. basically. And it was just a kind of a comeback fight. Yeah, because the, the the question, I mean, we're going back there a few minutes and you're talking about post the Fitzgerald fight and you actually drop him with, as you say, the knockout of the year and Eddie Hearn is talking about you and De La Hoya is knocking at your door and everything. The flip side is Spike versus Lemieux. Everything is going fine. And then is it almost like you're then basically out of the picture, off the radar afterwards in terms of you know pairing you up for the big boats do you can it's like snakes and ladders spike isn't it you just drop all of a sudden yeah great comparison tony yeah you're spot on yeah that's exactly it but yeah. uh, who will say golden boy promotions have been very good to me and i have a very good relationship with them and uh they said immediately after the fight uh, that they didn't believe the better fighter won and that um and i, I think they're right i agree you know mm. 
like I say, Billy Joe Saunders is a better boxer than me, but Lemieux is not. Um, and they said that they had no intention of um, kicking me to the curb and that they had every intention of bringing me back, you know, to fight again, which they did um, against Mungi. And also, this fight I had with Mungi, I had a three fight contract at junior middleweight because I wanted to try and become the world champion at junior middleweight. At 154, yeah. Um, that they said um, when I agreed to fight Mungi, that contract was ripped up again. Therefore, I had a one fight contract with Mungi. But they said uh, they, they had no intention of getting rid of me as well after that and that they'll give me back my, my junior middleweight contract. They'll give me okay. no, a new one again. Okay. Spike, this has the potential to be the longest podcast in history. It's a podcast <laughs> restarted in 2020 uh, for all sorts of reasons, lockdown being the main one. We're finishing it in 2021. But it's actually very timely that we're hooking up again because you uh, announced the fact that you are getting back in the ring in Brussels. So given that, you know, the most famous word in our dictionary at the moment seems to be roadmaps, talk to me about the 2021 roadmap for Spike O'Sullivan. Well, first of all, as you said, uh, we're back uh, to Belgium. I was there recently doing a bit of commentary in a few fights and I'm going to travel out there again at the end of this month. And uh, so uh, hopefully I get a win there and uh, get back on the horse and back to winning ways. And um you know, just uh, try and lay myself up for the world championship like that. That all that has always been my intention. And and as listeners will hear over the course of, of this uh, special interview, uh, you're 37 in July. You but you actually believe you're a better boxer now physically and intelligence wise than you ever were. And I I think from talking to you, you still firmly believe that a world title is very much within your compass. Oh, without doubt. And you know, Tony, I'm. Be glad to inform you. Even I feel even better now than I did the last time this, but I spoke to you um, through the lockdown. I've been training away, continuing to train and doing lots of weights, and I feel stronger than ever. And my running times have improved. I'm the best runner that I ever was, and uh, I used to hate running, but you know I I put on a lot of weight as well. Going back in the probably the first lockdown and out of necessity, I had to take up and a lot of running like to try and get the weight back down it was a, a mammoth task and uh it, uh, I, it was a uh, tough you know it was it was mentally very daunting but i i took it on and as i progressed through time actually i got a condition a plantar fatiitis during it which kind of hindered me for a bit i'd take about six weeks out but i got new footwear and i got a foot massage machine that that all you know ratified that and uh I'm back running since then and I'm starting to enjoy my running more than ever and uh, I'm doing the best times I've ever done and the longest distances and uh, I just think my all-round game is get, continuing to get better and better. Just give us a little sense. I know obviously these things are very much up in the air and the more often than not at the behest of promoters and opponents and that kind of stuff. But just give me a sense of how you'd like your 21, 2021 calendar to actually roll out. Well, first of all, I mean, I've got to look at this fight and, you know, hopefully get the win there, as you say, and we go forward to that. And, uh, you know, um, I'll be aiming towards the world title. Hopefully that's what I'd uh, like to achieve within the year before this Christmas. I'd like to become champion of the world and uh, that's my intention and I'm going to do my utmost to achieve that. Um, I look forward to the trip to Belgium. Really nice people out there. The last time I was out there, uh, we were in a place called Chelleray, which is the... Uh, deemed the ugliest city in the world, which I wouldn't agree at all with. Uh, 
know, it's good place. But you know, we're going to fight in uh, Liège, I think, this time. Uh, that's great. I I love that. Just new experiences in different parts of the world. You know, getting to travel around and uh, you know, look forward to it. And you, you're confident you'll make one fifty-four for the fight. Yeah, I'm very confident. I'll make it. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a task, you know, but um, I believe I I I will get there. Yeah. If you make one fifty-four, you're going to bring that extra power to that division, and I presume that extra degree of confidence. Without doubt, yeah. Um, I've never been beaten at one hundred and fifty-four pounds. I've only been beaten at 160 pounds on four occasions, and they were by four world champions. So um, I'm very, very confident that I have 154 that I can uh, beat anybody. I mean, again, I know these things are arbitrary in terms of decision, but you say like that by the end of the year, you want to be fighting for a world title. How many, I mean, do you think that that can really happen realistically, or do you think you're going to have to fight again to achieve that? I think I may have to fight again prior to fighting for the world title to achieve that. Uh, but I think it's realistic that I could fight for the world title before the end of the year. But um, I have a very positive mindset and um, it wouldn't faze me if I don't. I believe uh, it's my destiny to become world champion and uh, you know it's my intention to fight for maybe another seven years. I'd like to serve 20 years as a professional boxer and uh, I believe I continue to get better all the time. And uh, as I say, I... I'm probably fitter than ever right now, and uh, I believe uh, the best is yet to come. Uh, I truly believe that. I mean, genuinely, Spike, from the outside, my concern looking at anybody that isn't just a boxer is ring rustiness. I mean, you know yourself, you know your way about around the ring better than anybody, but when you haven't fought, and you haven't fought, I'm presuming since January 2020, if I'm right, like, there has to be a concern about ring rustiness. Yeah, that probably is, you know, it has been 16 months. It is the longest I've ever been out during my whole career. So, um, but I've been in the gym sparring about the past maybe nine weeks. I helped uh, one of the lads prepare for his fight, you know, and I, I've been continuing to spar and I will be up until this fight. And uh, I've got a wealth of experience. I've had 34 professional fights. They've been boxing for 31 years. And, you know, it's like my, I feel very at home and relaxed in the ring and I, I, feel, I feel good. You've gone all over the world fighting. I mean, as you said yourself, from Manhattan to Madison Square Garden, you've fought in Texas. You are now, you've spent a year at home. It's been, as you said, probably the most enjoyable year of your life in many respects in terms yeah. of with your kids and your partner. And how do you actually get back the appetite then, Spike, to get back in the ring when you've actually got used, do you know what I mean, to those family comforts? Well... I really enjoyed that year. I really, really loved it. But, you know, to provide for my kids, it's my job as well at the end of the day. So, uh, you know, I got to earn some crust and get some money, more money in the bank. And, you know, so, and if I can achieve what I want to achieve, it'll give them more comfortable life. So that's that's where I find my uh, motivation, you know, to uh, gain some money, basically, and uh, try and achieve my goal as well on top of that. But uh, just to provide for my family is the main thing, I suppose. Okay, and just to give boxing fans a, a sense of where the division is at, um, you know, Mongolia was your last fight. I mean, and obviously that's at 160. So, you know, who is the man to beat at 154? And, and how does the path for Spike O'Sullivan lead there? Well, the guy uh, I was aiming at initially was Patrick Teixeira. He's been since beaten by the Argentinian 
uh, Brankistano. I, I believe now Brankistano is going to have a unification match with a Charlo from New York, Jamal Charlo. And um, therefore, one of those guys could have every belt in the division. So I'll be aiming for maybe the winner of that fight. And uh, as I said, I've never been beaten at 154 pounds. I've competed at the uh, highest level at 160. Therefore, I'm, I'm very confident that I can beat anybody in the world at 154. Right. So take me forward to, say, next Christmas, maybe January, Las Vegas, light middleweight championship of the world. Explain to me, just as somebody who's interested in this kind of stuff, what does the actual build up what does the camp actually look like give us an idea how many times a day do you train in that situation are you tapering it off closer to the fight just give us an insight spike into that kind of stuff well there are again no true experience um i believe i can train better than i ever did i've i've um played around with all different sorts of things uh through my career and see tried to see what worked best i went mad there one time to train like five times a day you know um, for fights and i think that was a bit too much you know um, I'd say twice a day I know is the, is the right amount uh, of time strain like for me early morning like is how much of a space yeah between? I could do early mornings um, for a run there now twice a week saying maybe not as early other mornings and mm. you know and um, I only started doing weight in 2014 but I think they were very beneficial to me my strength like you can see your strength uh, increasing significantly as you consistently lift the weights you know and mm. uh, I think psychologically that's a it's a great boost you mm. know to know you're legitimately getting stronger like for a fact I mean there's a skill in that like getting yourself to a point where you're just there there is and not to peak too soon and um, having the right length training camp and you know being psychologically uh, happy as well like you know being in a good frame of mind yeah I like to uh stay at home and, and train in Dublin because uh, I like to see my kids and my partner every weekend Sure, you know, but you have it's. I hate being away, but it's a necessity to be away, you know, for the five days of the week anyway. Um, because if you're at home, you'll no matter what you say, if you you say, oh, no, I have to go to the gym, I'm, I'm a work basically, but it never work like that. You'll always end up doing a school run or yeah. you know, doing something. Whereas you need to be, you know, shut off from all that, you just need to train, like, mm. so. And could you retire? Financially, no. Well, I, I bought a house. I've no mortgage, like I suppose. Like, mm. You know, um, I could just go and work and do a normal job. Like, I'm a sheet metal worker by trade as well. I won't go back to it. I don't, I don't think it's the <laughs> best for your health. But, like, I'm not, I, I feel, I, I feel, grand, like, I feel uh, like I could do any job. Like, I wouldn't mind. Like, I actually like talking to people. I always thought McDonald's looked like a good job. I always see the people there. They seem like they're having good banter and cracking and remind me when I was working. I worked a lot of jobs actually myself. Uh, growing up, I started working early. I started working when I was 14. Uh, never liked school, like, you know. Uh, yeah. Just, I was, I always found myself looking out the window of school, uh, just wanting to go and play a ball, like hurling or something, like, go to the box and play soccer. Fuck, I just didn't like school. Either. Like, I just wasn't for me, unfortunately. I wish it was. You know, I'd, I'd recommend to everybody to do the leaving cert. Like, I didn't do the leaving cert. I left. Uh, but I regret it. But at the time, I just didn't have time for it. I didn't like it, like mm. you know. But uh, yeah, it, I, I I went working in the butchers in Super Value when I was fourteen, and um, from there to Texaco, down Mahanski I rode there, uh, working there for a few months. I worked in Little, and where else did I work? Uh, then I done, done my train after that. Oh, no, I worked in a tile centre as well before that. Okay. 
So, you, I mean, look, everybody, obviously, you're very well known in Cork and Ireland. And I think that there is actually quite a bit of pride about you in Cork. I mean, you know, Cork people about their own. Yeah. They're actually really like. But I mean, do you ever actually run into like trouble? You know, because let's face it, there's always going to be assholes out there want a little bit of a rub off Spike O'Sullivan in the pub and oh yeah you, you know what I mean I mean do you, do you have the facility and the ability just to laugh at that and walk away or is the nature of the beast kind of like you know go away now or you'll regret it uh, sure we came upon lots of lots of that over the years like, but sure but not, not much anymore no I think I'm fairly well established and um, the, the people they, they respect me and they don't they like me like they don't want to fight me like you yeah. know I find <laughs> you know, I wonder why. I know, sure, like there's plenty of bigger fellas out there than me, and you know these days a lot of fellas into wrestling and all that. I'm sure one of them could show up me out there some night, like you know. But no, people respect me; they like me. I think, and uh, I always get that you know uh, feeling when I'm around Cork City, and if I ever go for a few drinks, like you know, nearly all the bears that nearly always give you a point and all that. Like yeah. I find it's always just uh, it's very nice actually. Um, I had a friend there, no, I wouldn't mention his name, but we were walking down the street there one day, like, years, a few years ago, no, like, before I got the money to get my house and all that, like, I didn't have much myself at all, like, and uh, he said to me, like, he'd, he'd a couple of houses, like, with no mortgages and he'd a few million in the bank as well, and we were walking down Patrick Street, and, uh, fuck, like, a lot of people saying hello to you, like, and he said to me, he goes, and no spike, he goes, he said, I'd fucking swap you by... All my houses, my millions in the bank for that because you can't buy that. Mm. That's true. respect. Yeah, he's right. He's tr- it's true. Like, I feel very happy now. I'm not loaded, like, but I have a house and for my family and I have a grand car, like, and I'm happy out. Like, has The Rock ever been in the ring? Tell me, you mentioned The Rock. I mean, Jeez, I don't he know. He strikes me as a guy who'd be able to take care of himself in the oh, ring. I said that. I said he would, yeah, definitely. Uh, actually, he beat me in an arm wrestling match one night. Great, great crack. We're inside now. Where was it again? Uh, Next to Cubans there years ago, what was it called? It was a bar next to Cubans. Uh, it's not the same bar anymore. But right. The pub anyway, Cubans hasn't it. been around in a while yet. No, it was alongside the Cubans. I can't remember. It was kind of the side bar off Cubans, but uh, there was a night there, uh, a league of their own, Cork style, you know. Great crack now. I think John McHale from the Echo was actually oh, yeah, MC in it, and uh, was Dermot, anyway, he was in the opposing team to me. I think, you know, Tony O'Donoghue, Cork, I, RT, I, I, yeah. I was with him. I'm with his team, and I can't remember who else was there, but Dormer anyway was on the other team. But it was bollocks at the end, anyways. It was a draw officially, so they said they have to finish it off with a, an arm wrestling match. So it's a team member from each team, like, so for fuck's sake, Dormer don't weigh me by about seven stone, the fucker. <laughs> uh, he beat me anyway. <laughs> and you were able to show your face after that? I know, I know. But did you play Ga, tell me? Did you actually? I did. I only played Ga there recently again. With uh, what club would you be with? Uh, Ballinor, I played for there recently. Oh, but I played for the Bears, I played for Chris Tree, you know, my school. And But recently there, I was going into Mahampai Shopping Centre. Uh, and my friend there, he'd be kind of a selector on blowing Ballinor, like. And uh, fuck this, I don't know, how long ago? Two, three years ago, I said, not sure. But uh, I was walking to me, he goes, come here, uh, we're stuck for a few players there tonight. Playing down, playing down West Cork or something. This is football. Yeah, yeah get yeah, a football. Yeah. I goes junior B, no way. I said, ah, fucking grand. I will, yeah, not a bother. I ring me all that. I said, listen, I'm going playing a Gaelic football match. Anyway, oh, fucking great crack. Got into the team bus down to West Cork, and uh, but there was a photographer from the Examiner, actually. Matter of fact, I don't know. I who got a, su- I got a, got a suss that one out. Oh, 
Where did you play? I'm guessing full forward. I did. You're right, yeah. Yeah, you'd be a good man to win a ball, I'd score. say. Yeah, at that level, anyway, you would like to yeah. be much fitter than him, like. But, yeah, jeez. Uh, uh, fuck, there was some photographer in the crowd, and he took a picture of the bollocks. Uh, for fuck's sake, the next day I was in the examiner, and uh, I got a call from Pascal. I was manager. just going to say. Yeah, what the fuck's going on down there? You're playing football. Yeah. Oh, jeez. I said, well, I totally know that. I was in the examiner. I played a hurling match then the following week. I actually got four goals in the match. No shocking level again, like, but I was fairly good at sport, like, and uh, but I my I I had come off injured. I had a chunk out of my bloody shin. Actually, took the full lot of the skin off, all the hair on the skin. I could see my shin bone. But my uh, thumbs were swollen out badly. I was over the gym for a while, over. So like. You got to keep away from that hurling. I'll stuff. never play hurling again, over. Like, yeah. with that level, at that level though, you get more injuries. Like, yeah. you know, fellas are fucking just swinging like aimlessly, like. I'm thinking back, just to finish, to that nine-year-old kid. You said something there, which I thought to myself, whoa, you were nine, you were in Swansea. Mm. You were beating an 11-year-old local kid. That can you, look, can you even remember, Spike, that time, thinking to yourself, you know what, I must be pretty decent at this stuff? Oh, I knew I was decent. Sure, I was in the gym sparing all national champions in Ireland at the time. I was nine. The boys were 11 and 12, like, you know, up in the Glen. I actually got... Funnily enough, I have a bit of a cauliflower there, there and uh, I got that at the age about nine from a fella about 11 or 12, you mm. know, national champion. It was hard sparing, like, at the time. It's, there, it's just still there, like, there for life, I suppose. But, um, you know, I, 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 always, I was very, always very physically strong and, uh, mm. you know, I, I knew I could fight, like, you know. Mm. I guess the last thing I'll say to you, I'm thinking about that Virgin Media programme and the prize fighter, and there was a scene in it where you're inside in a swimming pool, you have a drink in your hand, mm. you're after winning, life is good, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, like, it doesn't get much better than this, and you mentioned the Madison Square Garden thing, and then the very next fight, I think, was the Lemieux fight. Yeah, it was. Uh, so it's the difference, isn't it? The highs and lows of boxing. There can't actually almost be another sport like it. Yeah, you're right. The highs and lows are incredible. A lot of guys find it very hard after boxing, you know. Um, I don't think it's even possible. I really and truly don't think it's actually possible at all to get a... emulate the highs, you know. So a lot of them struggle after boxing. Like, mentally. You know, mentally, yeah, too. Because, like, uh, the ring walks, like, I actually watched the Eubank fight there again recently in the O2 in London, like, you know, 20-odd thousand people, uh, magnificent arena. You know, I grew up watching it on TV, and to be actually there doing it was a bit surreal. Actually, that particular fight was surreal because uh, I grew up watching his father, uh, Eubank Sr., um, on the TV with my father, and um, I always remember the chants of Eubank, Eubank, you know, it was brilliant. It's what I grew up with, and I loved it, and um you know, when I fought him, it was a bit surreal. Uh, it was the f only time ever, actually, in my whole career, that I ever, ever kind of, kind of lost my trail of thought in the fight. When I heard the crowd, thousands of them, you bank, you bank, you know, Englishman against an Irishman in London, mm. bound to happen. Uh, do you know what it was like? It was like being on the coach with my dad at home, watching, looking at the telly, fucking in the ring. Like, it brought me back to being on the coach with my dad watching the fights just, you know really did Spike thanks a million for the chat my pleasure thanks for having me in Hold up 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.